This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. When we look at the opening of Parshat Veira, Parshat Veira opens in a grand way, but on the other hand, in a bewildering and perplexing way. Let me try and elaborate what I mean by this uh, statement. On the one hand, we couldn't have a grand introduction to Parshat Vayera because Parshat Vayera begins with enormous promises, with a sweeping vision of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Hashem turns round to the people and promises them the Arba L'Shonot Ge'ula. He says, Gam ani shamati na'akat b'nei Yisrael Hashem Yitzrayim ma'avidim otam ve'ezkaret b'riti. I have heard the cries of B'nei Yisrael, the cries of the suffering which they have been subjected to by Mitzrayim. I remember my covenant and say to B'nei Yisrael, I am Hashem and I have taken you from under the suffering of Egypt and saved you from their slavery and redeemed you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. I'm taking you as my people. I will beat you as a God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who takes you out of Egypt. He adds, I will not only take you out of Egypt, I will not only make you into my nation, but I will bring you to that special land, the land which I promised to give to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov that is um, going to be a morasha, an inheritance. And uh, this speech is very carefully constructed. It begins with the phrase, Ani Hashem, and it ends, uh, and it's in the middle is Ani Hashem, and it ends with Ani Hashem. Hashem is making a very, very strong statement of promise to B'nai Yisrael. This is quite a rousing introduction. And we might expect from this point to move on to the action of Yitziat Mitzrayim and to hear that something is actually going on. However, when you open your Chumash and look at Parshat Vaira, you will see that it almost seems to lose its way. The storyline here suddenly fizzles a little. Let me explain what we see next. Next we see, by Daber Hashem al Hashem says to Moshe and instructs him to go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh then, and Moshe then responds and says, How can I go to Pharaoh? B'nei Israel never listened to me. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? And anyway, I am of uncircumcised lips. Why is Moshe bringing up his speech defect? What you then see is a series of psukim, and here we're not even talking about a few psukim, we're talking about 15 psukim, in which we describe the genealogy of the children of Yaakov, Ruvain, and then Shimon, and suddenly we go through the entire genealogy of the tribe of Levi. And we wonder what this is doing here. And this genealogy of the tribe of Levi is directed to the family of Moshe Haron the family of Moses and Aaron, and at the end of this whole long rambling family tree, 
we get told, Hu Aharon Moshe Hashemar Hashem Lahem Hotziu Et Bnei Yisrael Meiritz Mitzrayim Otzivotam. That is Aaron and Moses. That God said to them, Take my people out of Egypt. Those are the ones. Heim Hamadabrim El Paro Melech Mitzrayim. They're the ones who are speaking to Pharaoh. And I'm reading this and wondering, wait, do you imagine that we do not know who Moshe is? Do you think that we do not know who Aharon is? Even more bewildering, we then move on to another phrase, which is, um, Moshe, God turns around and says, Ani Hashem, speak to Pharaoh everything that I am going to say to you. And Moshe says, God, don't you know? I am un- I have uncircumcised lips. I have a speech defect. Once again, Moshe is repeating himself. What is going on here? We had a rousing speech at the beginning of chapter 6. God says, I'm going to redeem you. And then suddenly everything falters. We have Moshe's statement, I can't speak to Pharaoh, I have uncircumcised lips. We then have a genealogy, and then we go back again to the claim of the uncircumcised lips. Something is afoot here, something is strange. For some reason, the biblical text seems to be off-kilter or going off-topic. What exactly is happening here? So I would like to try and explain the beginning of Pasha Veira and to see if we can make some sort of sense of what is happening here. Maybe the first thing that we need to say at the outset is that there is a peculiar and deliberate structure which is constructed at the beginning of Pasha Veira. And it is what we call a chiastic structure, a symmetrical structure, a sort of A, B, C, B, A type of structure. Uh, We're familiar with this structure from many, many places in Tanakh. Sometimes you can even find a single pasuk which has this sort of structure. This would be uh, chapter 6 and 7. Perak Vav Zayin of Parashat Veira would seem to be a slightly longer structure, but one can take a look. When you open a Chumash, you will see it most clearly that we have... A, a sort of, as I said, A, B, C, B, A. What do I mean? The parasha opens with a, a paragraph of promise. We then move on to God instructing Moshe and him making an excuse about his speech defect. We then have the genealogy, back to the speech defect, and then chapter 7 begins with another instruction to Moshe something he's meant to tell. And this time he's given his marching orders not to B'nai Israel, but rather to approach Pharaoh. He has a message to deliver to Pharaoh, a message of redemption to Pharaoh instead of B'nai Israel. Now this is a very, as I said, carefully constructed unit. And the question is, what is this unit trying to communicate? What is this unit trying to say? And let me maybe say one further thing about chiastic structures. Frequently we have this unit, this A, B, C, B, A unit, but the question is what to do with it. And in our case, we're going to use this sort of symmetry to ask ourselves whether indeed it is symmetrical. In other words, 
Does the first paragraph match the last one? Or is there a sense of progression? Does the second paragraph match the, second, the penultimate one? Or is there a sense of progression? And what exactly is here in the middle? So let's see if we can, if we can take a look at this unit, re-examine it, and understand what it's all about. And I think the place we're going to start is in the opening pasuk. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm now turning back to the opening line of Parshat Vayera. God introduces himself as Ani Hashem, that is the name of God, Yud Kei Vav Kei. And this is what he says, el Abraham el Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov be'el Shaddai, o'shmi Hashem lo nodati lahem. I always appeared to Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov in the name El Shaddai. O'shmi Hashem, the name Yud Kei Vav Kei, lo nodati lahem. I was not known to them. I did not ever communicate to them, it would appear, through the name Hashem, Yudke Vavke. And therefore, later on in the speech, he says, Yisrael, Ani Hashem. Now, of course, this is incredibly peculiar, because when we look at Sefer Breshit, we see that God continually communicates with B'nai Israel through the name Yudke Vavke. In fact, the name Kel Shakai, El Shaddai, only appears a few times, maybe four or five times throughout Sefer Breshit, the name Yudke Vavke appears countless times. And therefore, what does God mean when he says, I only appeared through the name Kel Shakai, but not through the name Yudke Vavke? So I'd like to try and answer that with the help of, of Rashi, and then we'll try and substantiate this through the Pesukim. Rashi explains what these names of God indicate. And I'll read the Rashi here on Pasuk Gimel. Ve'era el havot, I paid to the forefathers, be'el shaddai, which means, hiftavchtim haftachot, I always made promises to the patriarchs. Uvukulam amarti lehem, and each time I made a promise, I said, ani el shaddai. And what does it mean, ushmi Hashem lonodati lehem, but I wasn't known by the name, yud ke vav ke, what does it mean? It says, Lohodati Enkativkan. It doesn't mean I wasn't made known Elonodati, which means Lonikarti I was not perceived through my quality of truth, Hashem, which means that I act in a sense of truth, I verify those things that I say. I make good on my promises. Shahari hiftachtim velokiamtim. I made many promises to the Avot, however, I did not fulfill them. What Rashi is claiming is that throughout Sefer Breshit, God makes promises to the Avot, but all the Avot got, all the patriarchs got, was promises about the future. But now is the time, the time of fulfillment, and fulfillment is indicated by the name Yud Kevavke. By the way, I think we can substantiate this very, very well. The name Kel Shakai always uh, seems to come in a certain context in Sefer Breshit. If you look at the name Kel Shakai, it first appears in the Parsha of Brit Mila. And there, what do we see there? God says, 
I am Kel Shakai. Walk before me and be perfect. And I will give you my covenant and I will multiply you. I will make you great, in, numerically great. Now, of course, this doesn't really happen in Avraham's lifetime at all. But you see the name Kel Shakai relates to a certain population, expansion, the sense of becoming a great nation. And this is consistent throughout Sefer Breshit. The second time we see this name is in Perak Chafet. And there in Perak Chafet, we also see the same notion of Kel Shakai being related to in the context of um, population expansion. Let me explain. You can find this in Perak Chafet, Pasuk Gimel. There it says, V'kel shakai yivarechotcha v'yafrecha v'yirbecha v'yita l'kal amin. And God will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you will be a community of nations. Likewise, later on in chapter 48, Perak Memchet, and I quote there, V'yome Yaakov el Yosef, Yaakov said to Yosef, El Shaddai Nira Eli Baluz. God appeared to me, Kel Shaddai appeared to me in Luz, Be'eretz Kanan Be'evarachoti, and he blessed me, and he said, I will make you into community of nations. Again, the notion of uh, the blessing, of uh, fruitfulness, and this is again repeated in Perak Memtet, um, where the, the phrase Shaddai is associated with Birchot uh, Shaddai Barachem, the blessing of the breast and the womb. Always the name El Shaddai refers to the expansion of population, the notion of moving from the state, stage of the Avot to the stage of a nation. What he's saying is, I promised I'd make you into a nation, and now what? Now I'm going to relate to you in the name Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is a mixture of the, 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 the combination of Haya, Hover, V'yihyeh. It is a God that, on the one hand, transcends time, but a God which is in time, a God which is going to be within time and accompany us through our travails. God is saying that he wants to make his presence manifest. He's not just going to be a God of the future, of promises for the future, but God is now going to act now, here and now, God is suddenly going to spring into action. Of course, I have to say that this is a reaction to the closing of last week's parsha. The end of last week's parsha, Moshe had gone to the nation. Moshe had approached the people of Israel, the Israelites, and raised their hopes. He brought an delegation of the Zekinim to Pharaoh and suggested that Pharaoh grant them freedom, and if not freedom, some religious freedom. Let us go for three days into the Midbar in order to engage in some sort of religious expression. And what did the people get for their requests? Well, what they received was a far more severe workload, back-breaking labor without provisions. We read about the way that the Shotreben Israel, the supervisors of the Israelites, or the Israelite supervisors, um, were beaten because they weren't fulfilling their quota. And when the Israelite representatives meet Moshe and Aharon, they turn against them and they say, let God judge you. You have put a sword into the hand of Pharaoh to kill us. 
they accuse Moshe and Aaron of only giving them trouble. And it's at that point that Moshe turns around to God in desperation and says, Why have you dealt so cruelly with this people? Why have you sent me? Moshe is filled with a sense of desperation. From the moment I came to Paro to speak in your name, You didn't save your people. It only got worse. And that's where Hashem says, don't worry, I'm going to act. I'm not going to be an El Shaddai. I'm not going to make promises about the future. Now, Ani Hashem. I am Hashem, not only in the future, but in the present. Hashem is deciding that he is going to move into a state of action. But how, what, what exactly is going to happen here? What is going to change? So I would like to suggest here something fascinating. When we look at Sefer Shemot, um, we've already had an introduction to Moshe Rabbeinu. Chapter 2 introduced us to Moshe Rabbeinu in a number of different ways. The first introduction was that he was a product of Vayelech Ishmi Beit Levi, Vayikachet Bat Levi, an anonymous couple a couple, both from the tribe of Levi. Uh, Ishmi Beit Levi took a Bat Levi and they had a child. According to Chazal, Chazal emphasized the fact that this was a hugely courageous act. In a time when babies were being thrown into the river, two people from the tribe of Levi decided that they would not let the Jewish people die by extinction and they would still try to have a child in this uh, awful environment in this dangerous environment where they have to hide their children away, hide them from the authorities for fear of the child being cast to his death. This courageous act of defiance was the mode of of Moshe's parents. And Moshe shares in their courage, shares in their defiance, because no sooner does Moshe grow grow up, we see that uh, and we know the characterization of Moshe in Perak Bet. Moshe is a freedom fighter. Moshe is a person who you cannot hold him down. On the first day, he sees uh, an Egyptian beating a Jew and he intervenes and kills the Egyptian. On the second day, it is a Jew fighting with a Jew. Once again, he intervenes. And when he realizes that the murder, his, his killing of the Egyptian has been found out, he runs to Midian, and even in Midian, where there are none of his brethren there, no brothers, he sees some Midianite men abusing uh, the seven daughters of Yitro, and once again, he intervenes. What sort of character traits do we see in the young Moshe? How is this uh, new character Moshe described to us? He is a person that whenever he sees oppression, he simply cannot sit still. He cannot watch suffering. He cannot see the, the, the strong preying on the weak without intervening. And he is tremendously courageous, not worrying, not worrying or being concerned with what will happen to him personally. He sees injustice and he feels an internal impetus that he has to act and he has to save the oppressed from the hands of the oppressor.
This is the characterization of Moshe in Perak Bet. He is an activist. He is a civil rights leader. It is true that we talk about the special relationship El Echav with his people. And it mentions it several times. And yet, as Nechama Leibovitz points out, we have three stories here. One is about a non-Jew beating a Jew. The other about a Jew and another Jew. And the third story about two non-Jews. To a certain degree, Moshe's ethic here is a universal one. Moshe is simply a fighter for justice. That is the Moshe as we see in Perek Bet. And indeed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu approaches this Moshe. And when Moshe in Perek He, in chapter 5, comes to Pharaoh, he comes trying to rally the people, the Ziknei B'nei Israel. you will notice there in Perek He, that he performs, um, he gathers the people, and he performs Vayasa Otot, he performs his signs in front of the nation. And the people believe in Moshe, and then they come um, to Pharaoh, and uh, before Pharaoh, they represent the people, and they talk about the God of the Hebrews. They represent, uh, the, the, they represent themselves as coming in the name of the God of those people, the Ivriim, and they ask for their rights. Everything here happens with the participation of the Zkenim. We see different groups, the Shotrim, the Zkenim. Um, however, Moshe is functioning here in a political manner, asking for the rights of the slaves. And we see the entire civil rights movement here, which Moshe leads, crashing down around him, as Pharaoh simply turns up the heat, Pharaoh makes the workload harsher and harsher, and the slaves themselves cannot withstand the the pressure, and they turn against Moshe, the civil rights leader, and we could say that if this is round one, Pharaoh wins round one. He has indeed crushed this rebellion, he has made sure that this uh, popular uprising doesn't even lift off. And maybe this is expressed in the opening paragraph of Parashat Vayera, where it says that Hashem delivers a message to Bnei Yisrael, Vaydaber Moshe Keinel Bnei Yisrael, Velo Shamuel Moshe. Moshe spoke this to Bnei Yisrael, but they could not hear Moshe. Velo Shamuel Moshe. Mikotze Ruach Ome Avodakasha. The work, Avodakasha, the work was so severe. Kotze Ruach. They are short of breath. They're out of breath. They're on the run. They're working so hard. They're running so hard. They simply uh, haven't got the ability. They haven't got the time to dream. They haven't got the time to plan. They haven't got the time to think because they have to build more bricks and more towers and more storehouses. And therefore, Pharaoh has put them in a situation where listening to Moshe's great visions about freedom is simply too much of a luxury. It is at this point that Moshe turns round at the beginning of Vayirah in Perak Vav Pasuk Yudbet and says, when God sent him to Pharaoh, he says, by Daber Moshe Lifnei Hashem, Moshe says to Hashem, Heim B'nei Yisrael lo shamu elai. If B'nei Yisrael won't listen to me, if I can't have the people on my side, Eich Yishma'eni Pharaoh, 
then how will Pharaoh listen to me? I can only come to Pharaoh as a civil rights leader if I have the people backing me. But if the people themselves are turning against me, how am I going to do it? Va'ani aral spataim. Heim b'nei Yisrael lo shamu elai ve'eich ishma'eni Pharaoh va'ani aral spataim. I would like to claim that it is this point that we see, uh, I called it round one, but let's call it plan A. Plan A, the plan which uh, is based on uh, civil rights, which is based on national emancipation, which is based on the rights of the slaves, it has come crashing down. It simply doesn't work. And now Hashem is going to move to plan B. What is plan B? Plan B is described at the end of this chiastic structure very clearly. What does he say? Perak Zayin, Pasuk Aleph, Vayedaber Vayom HaShem HaMoshe Re'ei Natati, Natsaticha Elohim Lefaro. I have made you a God to Pharaoh, Ve'aron Achicha Yeh Nebiecha. And he says, Atatadaber Kol Asher Atzavecha, You will speak whatever I tell you. Aron Achicha Yeh Daber Al Paroh. Your brother Aaron will speak to Pharaoh, And don't worry, he will send B'nai Israel from his land. Yes, I will make his hard, heart hard. And I will expand and I will make great my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And eventually, I will stretch out my hand over Egypt What's amazing here is the shift. God says, he's not, before, when God said, Ani Hashem, he was talking to Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel, you should know, Ani Hashem. Now, V'yadu Mitzrayim Kenny Hashem. Egypt will know that I am I, I am uh, God. Before uh, Moshe was meant to talk to the people, now Moshe is meant to talk to Pharaoh. What is changing? What has changed here? It's very simple. What is Plan B? Plan B is the ten plagues. Plan B is that now God is going to go and sit in the driving seat, and He is going to hit Egypt with plague after plague after plague. And what is fascinating here is the transformation of Moshe's role and the transformation of the role of Bnei Israel. Because if we recall our knowledge of Chumash, in the drama of the plagues, in the drama of the Esemakot, Bnei Israel are not involved at all. Bnei Israel are virtually passive. They are asked to take no active role in the drama. And who is involved in the drama? Only Moshe and Haron and Pharaoh, maybe a little bit of the Khartoumim, the religious leaders. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, we are abandoning the political experiment. We're abandoning the political channel. We're not going for asking for, for freedom as a political gesture. I am now going to expand my wonders and signs in Egypt, and I am going to show the true force 
of Ani Hashem to Egypt. And you are going to be Re'ena Taticha Elohim Lefaro. You are going to be a God to Pharaoh. You are going to be my representative to Pharaoh. Maybe now we understand the genealogy at the center of this, of this passage. Um, what I'm basically explaining is that this chiastic structure, this ABCBA structure, is actually in a sense a pivot. It is a sense a um, turning point in the Sefer. How does the turning point work? It begins with Hashem saying, I am now going to fulfill my promises. And to explain how he's going to fulfill his promises, he first sends a message to B'nai Israel and says, I want to take you out, I want to be your nation. But they can't even hear the message. Likewise, Moshe says, if B'nai Israel cannot hear the message, how can Pharaoh? And that is all true on the political grounds. In other words, the AB, the first two stages, need to be discarded, they don't work. And now we come to the epicenter of the structure. The epicenter of the structure goes through the genealogy of B'nai Israel, through Ruvain, through Shimon, and reaches Levi. From Levi it filters through the family until it weaves its way to the family of Amram, and there to the family, and then to Moshe and Haron. And what's it saying? It's saying, Moshe, I'm not choosing you because you come from the courageous uh, Ish Levi who marries the Bat Levi. I am not choosing you for any of those reasons. I am choosing you because you come from the special tribe of Levi. I'm choosing you because you are a descendant of Yaakov Avinu. I'm choosing you for where you are in the family line. I am choosing you. Who Aharon Moshe Asher Hamar Hashem Elahem I'm not choosing you because you're a good civil rights leader. I'm not choosing you because you know how to stand up for your rights. I'm not choosing you because you are the person who is so courageous and always defends the oppressed from the oppressor. I'm choosing you because I say so. Who Aharon Moshe Asher Hamar Hashem Lahem because Moshe's new role is the Shaliyah Hashem. Moshe's new role is in order to represent God. If you look carefully, you will see the difference between the two um, phrases here um, that are used here. In one, Moshe complains and says, Hain b'nei Yisrael lo shomu elai, famous kal v'chome, if b'nei Yisrael don't listen to me, ech yishma'eni paro, how will paro listen v'ani aral s'vatayim? But in the second parallel phrase, he does not say that. V'yomu Moshe lifnei Hashem, Moshe says before God, I have a speech defect. How can I represent you, your majestic being, before Pharaoh? The problem isn't framed within B'nai Israel. What this opening structure does is actually to change the terms of reference for B'nai Israel. Indeed, Parashat Shemot is a failed experiment, trying to walk the political avenues of the halls of uh, of of government in, in, in Egypt simply falls on deaf ears and it causes trouble for B'nai Israel and it is just laughable to Pharaoh who seems to be deaf to any sense of justice. And therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu says 
um, no more promises, no more Kel Shakai. Now, Ani Hashem, now is the time to deliver my promises. And it is not fast enough. It is not working speedily enough through the other method. I need to take over. In this regard, Moshe needs to be transformed from a political leader to a Shaliyah Hashem, God's miracle maker, Re'ena Taticha Elohim Lefaro, or as he says here, Daber al Paro Melech Mitzrayim et Kol Asher Ani Dober Elecha. Speak to Faro whatever I tell you. It's interesting, in the parallel phrase, it said, Vayedaber Hashem Moshe Belaharon, Vayetzavim El Bnei Yisrael, Ve'el Paro Melech Mitzrayim. They were commanded to talk to both Bnei Yisrael and to Paro. That was in the first side of the structure. That's in the side of the structure which didn't work. Vayetzavim El Bnei Yisrael Ve'el Paro. But now, in Pasuk Chavtet, Vayedaber Hashem Moshe Leimor, Ani Hashem, Daber El Paro Melech Mitzrayim, Et Kol Asher Ani Dober Elecha. Bnei Yisrael, the Israelites are being sidelined, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is now turning all his attention to Pharaoh. He is now going to crush Pharaoh on his own. Bnei Yisrael will simply sit by and watch what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. They will watch Hashem's power as he pounds the Egyptian plague after plague. And only with this divine pressure, with this uh, divine battery, will HaKadosh Baruch Hu succeed to bring Bnei Israel out of Egypt. And uh, this will be not through the process of diplomacy or, or civil rights, but rather through the process of I will increase my wonders and my signs throughout Egypt. And Egypt itself will know that I am God. Not Bnei Israel knowing that I am God, but Egypt Suddenly, Sefer Shemot shifts into a different gear. Suddenly, the whole campaign of the Exodus takes on a different um, texture. And suddenly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is now leading the events in a very, very prominent way. And this is the beginning of where we turn to the process of the templates. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.